0: All right, first of all, kiddos, thanks for hanging out with us. You are now dismissed to go to Genesis Kids. So you can make your way out. We're glad you were in here to sing and see the candle lighting. I love this season. Uh, We're going to be talking about this. As they're leaving, a couple things for you, all the rest of you who are part of Genesis, to be thinking about during the holiday season. First of all, uh, our series is called All I Want for Christmas. We'll hit that in a minute. But we already have for you out in the foyer these cards, okay? Christmas season is a great time to have conversations with neighbors to invite them to church, to encourage them to come consider the beauty of this story that they're hearing in all the songs when they walk through uh, you know, the stores and uh, are hanging out in different places. And, and so uh, it's just a good time for us to just look people in the face and, and, and look them in the eye and say, hey, we'd love for you to go to church or to bake some cookies or some, some goodies for them and uh, just invite them to come. And so we have something to help you. These cards are out there. The front card just has our logo design for the series. The backside of the card uh, has... Um, a couple things, including uh, information about our Sunday gatherings, uh, some information about our Christmas Eve service. There's also a QR code on here. We have actually put uh, our building a, a welcome to Christmas. Uh, link on our website that will have a short video explaining what people can expect when they come on Sunday and especially when they come on Christmas Eve. Our Christmas Eve service is a fun, fabulous service. And so uh, invite friends, neighbors, come join that yourself. Be here all during the Christmas season. That's there for you. The second thing we do during Christmas is we really want to challenge and encourage you that one of the greatest things we can do during the holiday season is to... Uh, to give, And obviously we give gifts. There's all kinds of gifts that we give. But along with that giving, the, the, the possibility that we could give to something that will be greater than anything that shows up under the tree. And uh, so during the holidays, we collect what we call the Advent Conspiracy Offering. I know you can't really see these. I'm just holding them up so you will see, see that we have them. Okay? The Advent Conspiracy offering, the idea is that we during this holiday season encourage you to maybe downsize the giving that you give to everybody else and, and maybe with what you downsize to give an offering to give to this offering. Every dollar we collect in this offering actually goes to our partners who are reaching people to the nations. A large percentage percentage of it will go to uh, the International Mission Board, one of our partners who are sending people to every possible place in the world to proclaim christ and and they're really energized to send people to the hardest place in the world the places where christ has not been named Um, we also have a couple of our partners Uh, in Ecuador, and Papua New Guinea, that part of this money goes towards. And we give some towards the organization who promotes the offering, and they will build wells with the money in places where people don't have have water. And so uh, these are the things that we do. uh, And so we we just want to encourage you to consider what it might look for you to give. These cards are very specifically, the idea is if you would like to do the... um, uh, Giving of part like maybe part of a Christmas present for your parents or your aunts and uncles or for your friends is to say, listen, for Christmas, part of what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a donation in your name to this offering. And so you can pick up these cards. The whole idea is just to include it in the Christmas gifts uh, that you give as a way to say part of my giving for you is to be part of this. And then we have these little bags. What we encourage you is take these bags and uh, a lot of us will bring the, our offering on Christmas Eve to the Christmas Eve service. Take the bag, fill it out, let your kids color it, and then put your offering on the inside of this bag and, and bring it on Christmas Eve, Eve or any other time. You can place it in your offering, or you can just put it in this box down here where we receive that. All right, there we go. That's, that's kind of the announcements, the stuff we have going on, so that we can make the most of this holiday season, really remember it for all that it, it, uh, it, it stands for, and how we can really be partners in what the gospel is all about. Have you made your Christmas list yet? Well, it was past Black Friday. It should be done by now, right? Do you know all you really want for Christmas? You know, I guarantee you, if you have kids, they are thinking about it, right? Uh, your kids are probably coming up with clever little ways to tell you what they want, making their Christmas list. And of course, what do you think of all I really want for Christmas? We start by thinking, you know, when we were three and four, all I want for Christmas is what? My two front teeth, and then Mariah Carey came along and reminded us that all I want for Christmas is. I'm having trouble connecting to the internet. Thank you. Technology. All I want for Christmas is technology. So, what, what did Mariah Carey tell us we want for Christmas? All I, you guys were supposed to sing that. With the, You know, I, I'm not going to even try it. That would be like awful. You'd be like, all I want for Christmas is for you to stop. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, and then Amy Grant came along several years ago with the, the song Grown Up Christmas List. And she started telling us that no more lives torn apart and wars would never start. And had this whole thing of now that I've grown up, there are things that I, I really want for Christmas. And they're not really presents under a tree. They are more rooted in the idea of of peace on earth and hope and th- those sorts of things. Um, we all have longings and desires. And Christmas is this crazy season or Advent very specifically is this crazy season where those longings and desires get heightened, and, and, and we here in, in the gospel are looking to an event as the solution. We've mentioned in our Advent reading that the season of Advent is a season of waiting, knowing that Christ was coming. It, it, it connects us with the Old Testament people who waited on these promises for some of them hundreds and hundreds and even over a thousand years for the coming of this promised Messiah. And even though their lives were often brutal and hard and full of persecution and oppression from foreign governments, they still waited with with expectation and faith that God would be faithful and true. And and now we are here, and and we're reminded of this. Now, little spoiler alert, guess what happens on December 25th? Jesus gets born, right? I mean, maybe not on that day. We're not sure. But bottom line is, spoiler alert, our Advent waiting is Christmas is going to make it. We're gonna, unless the Lord returns, we are going to have Christmas. Jesus gets born. Yet, we are here waiting as well for other promises and other expectations. The truth of the matter is that, that um, there is a big difference between the way things ought to be and the way things are. And even though we are people who have experienced and know the beauty of the coming of Jesus into the world, the truth of the matter is our lives, we are still broken people, redeemed redeemed people if you've trusted in Christ, but redeemed broken people in a broken world. And so we still long, we still want, we still have desires. And while I may want, you know, a red rider BB gun under the tree, the truth of the matter is that there are longings that are deeper in the human heart. And one of the things that Advent does is it pulls these themes from scripture, but they're the themes that are the wants and the longings that every human being on planet earth has. We all want something to hope in, right? We all want to be loved. We want to have happiness and joy in our life, and we are longing for peace. These words are not just tied to the Christian tradition. They are the, it's the language that our culture uses for the things that they most deeply long for, the things that they most deeply want. Uh, in other words, what we have here are words that are rooted in Scripture, yet at the same time, they are the things that people really want for Christmas. They really hope will come true. And, and so what we're doing is, if, you've been, if you hang out with us all the time, if you're a guest, we're so glad you're with us. Our normal rhythm is to preach straight through books of the Bible. And so we've been preaching through this amazing book of Acts. (laughs) It's a great story, and we're going to get back to that. But we thought we'd take a pause during Advent to just show how the beautiful story of the coming of Jesus in the world really is the greatest gift, and in that gift of Jesus coming into the world, that, that gift, Christ coming in the world, his life, burial and death and his life, death, burial, and resurrection really does bring to us the fulfillment of those longings, and, and, and the deepest desires of the human heart are really met only in the person of Jesus. We like the message sometimes our world is so turned off to Christianity yet. Those of us who know Jesus still have the only, the offer of the only true thing that can fill the desires and longings of people's hearts. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at an amazing passage, all month long, one passage of scripture, five services, including Christmas Eve, one passage of scriptures in Romans chapter five, verses one through 11. Because this passage is a place where this man named the Apostle Paul, who, if you've been with us, we've been talking about his life, and he's written a letter to this church in Rome, and this letter in Rome, in chapter 5, the flow of the argument, and I'll talk a little more about this in a minute, but the flow of the argument gets to the point where Paul is going to tell us what people who, who have a relationship with Jesus, who have looked into the manger, and then followed the manger to the cross, and then seen the beauty of the empty grave, and have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, how they have these great themes that are brought up in Advent, already they are already true for us, and we have access, and we can actually experience hope, we can actually experience love, we can actually experience peace. These things that we, we most deeply long for are already true in Christ because we have been redeemed and justified. And so, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 is what we'll read. Like I said, we'll be reading this every week. We're not going to preach straight through the text What we're going to do is we're going to find these themes in the text. And so what you will do, even as you're reading along with me now, notice that there is the mention of hope, love, peace, and joy, rejoicing. And what we're going to do is we're going to show how this great story of Jesus coming into the world provides these things for us now, and it pushes us to another coming where these things will be true for us in a glorious final way. And we still wait for that. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we have Bibles in baskets. We would love for you to grab one of those. Look it up in your app, however you want to read. We'll be on page 1043, it looks like, in one of those Bibles. uh, Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in hope. In the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For no one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die but god shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners christ died for us since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved from him the uh, saved by him from the wrath of god for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to god by the death of his son how much more shall we now th- be reconciled shall we now be saved By his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've received reconciliation. Paul is explaining what has happened as a result of this one word, justification. It's a big word in the Bible. It's a big word that has deep meaning in the Bible. And we'll see in this passage. I want you to notice before I get to anything else in this whole series, I want you to notice the passage where Paul says, justification comes from. Verse one, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now pay attention to that. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now look down at verse number uh, nine. Since therefore, we have been justified by his blood. Now, what, we, we need to start by saying, what does this word justification, this big Bible word, like, you know, here we go, throwing out big Bible words, what does this mean? Well, the word justification at its core is just a reference to what happens when a person is actually authentically saved, rescued, redeemed by Jesus. It, it is a reference to the fact that God is a judge, and we are guilty in the court of his justice. Yet for some reason, by his grace and his grace alone, God chooses to look at somebody who deserves his justice and look at them with grace, forgiving their sins, welcoming them into a relationship with himself and, and, and pouring all the blessings of his promises and redemption into their lives. In fact, uh, one theologian, uh, uh, G.E. Ladd said it this way, the root of ju- idea in justification is the declaration of God that the God, the righteous judge, that man who believes in Christ, sinful though he may be, is righteous, is right, made right with God, is made perfect in the way God sees him, is righteous, is viewed as being righteous because in Christ he has come into a righteous relationship with God. In other words, Latt is saying is what happens to a person as they move from a, a position of being guilty and deserving of death into a position of righteousness— So that God looks at us as if we have not sinned, has forgiven us wholly, has accepted us into his family, has poured his grace and mercy on us, and we received that. Now, now, here's what the text says. The text says that when we interact with the story of Jesus, so we have this great month where we're going to be talking about Jesus. We're going to be looking into a manger. We're going to be thinking about Mary and Joseph coming to Bethlehem. We're going to be talking about all that. But around the cross, or around the manger, is a shadow of a cross, that the Christ who was born, the cute little baby, grows up to live a sinless life and die on the cross for our sin in our place. And what Paul is saying to each of us, listen to me, what Paul is saying to each of us is our hope and faith and and sense of any well-being in the world is not rooted in our own performance. It is rooted in what Christ has accomplished. So we are, first of all, justified by the blood of Jesus. Christ gave his life on the cross for our sin, and that shed blood is the way that any person on earth, the only way any person on earth can gain access into the presence of God. Because it is there where our sin was dealt with. Our guilt was paid for. That God, being just, poured out the justice that was deserved onto Christ and, and, and gave us forgiveness in its place. So we we're justified because of the blood. And so it begins with the story of Christmas and the coming of Jesus in the world. But it, he also says, therefore, being justified by faith. That for you and me, there is an act that must take place where I no longer look at myself, my goodness, my hopes and dreams, but I run to Jesus and I place all of my faith solely in him. I trust in what he did for me at the cross is the basis of my hope and joy and redemption. That my justification, the only way I can be made right is because of what Jesus did. And I place my faith in him as my sovereign king, bowing my knee to him and giving my life wholly to him. Has that happened for you? I trusted in Christ when I was seven years old. I was a young dude, but I remember when Christ saved me, and on the night, I repented of my sin, and I placed my faith and trust in Jesus. On that night, the God of this universe looked at this sinner who had sinned a lot and was gonna sin some more, and looked at my cupboard and said, by the grace of God, you are justified. The blood of Christ has cleansed you from all sin, past, present, future, and you are now welcome into my presence. This happened because Christ came in the world, and that, that coming was applied to my life as a gift of grace when I turned from myself and ran to Jesus and ex- embraced the gift of grace. All right? That, that's our hope. And so what happens is in, in the story, in this text, he says because of that, he, everything that we have, like this whole text hinges on because you have been justified. Peace with God, hope, we access love, we have the Spirit. I mean, there are all these things that are beautiful truths that are in Romans 5, and they are the themes of Advent, right? And it starts with this gift of hope. He mentions it in in the second verse here. uh, He he says, uh, verse two, he says, through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace of which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 4. And endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. The, the author is, is tying in, Paul is tying into this beautiful promise of hope, this hope that we all long for, that we all want. There, there is this, this common human desire, longing, and hoping for. We see it in Ralphie in a Christmas story when he makes his Christmas list, right? The whole month is. My life will be right and everything will be right with the world in my hope that I will open a Red Rider, Daisy Red Rider Rider BB gun, you know, with a compass in the stock and the carbine action, the 200-shot range model, right? Like, if that were to happen... My hopes will be fulfilled. And our kids see this at Christmas. There's a sense in which they're hoping, they make a list and hope against all hope sometimes, that they will get what they've asked for, right? But then as we grow up, we we begin to realize that our hope is really rooted in the idea that our lives are not what we want at the moment. The world is not what we want at the moment. And we want a different reality. And so we wait, but we wait with longing. And our world right now really really needs hope. If nothing other than just peering into the mass shootings that are happening in our country. And the brokenness that that is revealing, both the brokenness that exists in the heart of a human being that could do that sort of thing And we all go, how how can this happen? Where, Where will hope come from? And at the same time, the deep emptiness and loss of people who've lost loved ones and who are going through the holidays with empty seats at tables and who are crying out for any sort of hope. Our world needs hope. But the question is, where do they look? And and do we have something that we can offer that is better? People are trying to find hope in legislative process and politics. People are trying to find hope in some kind of gathered community of humanity, which never is going to work. People are trying to find hope in their human resiliency. And even Ralphie got the Red Ryder BB gun and almost shot his eye out, right? Where is that hope? And see, what we have here is the wrestling with where is hope going to come from in a world that longs for hope? Where is this hope going to come from? And the truth of the matter is that our hope is going to reside either in Christmas Day or New Year's Day. Catch this. Our hope, your hope, will either reside in Christmas Day or New Year's Day. The world's hope is all New Year's Day. If we can just turn the corner, get a fresh start, have a new day. Uh, and, and, and come on, let's be honest, okay? I made all the promises New Year's Day last year, and, and I hit about mid-November, and by then I'm like, yeah, they didn't work, and I can't start now. Like, there's no way you start a diet in the middle of November, Right? No way, because you know what's coming to of You're like, all right, I'm going to have turkey set in front of me, Christmas cookies. Oh, my gosh, eggnog. Thank you, God, for eggnog, right? I mean, all these things. That, and, and, and all of a sudden, about middle, of, you, you, you're sitting in a corner, and you're just like, uh uh. And then there's a stark reminder. None of my New Year's Day promises to myself worked. Either our world, we are going to place our hope in New Year's Day, my ability to overcome our resiliency. This is the whole message of our culture. You have enough inside you. You can do it. You can make it. Together, collectively, as humans, we will, we will come up with something. We will solve our problems. We can find the solution. Either our hope is going to be in New Year's Day or it's going to be in Christmas Day, where Christmas Day looks at us and brings the end of any possibility of hope that is in the human goodness and the, the, the journey of our own goodness. Good grace and soul right but like what christmas day says is we were so desperate that god had to step from heaven into humanity and take on what we deserved our hope is either going to be in ourselves in how we can overcome or it is going to be in the trust of the fact that christ has already overcome on our behalf where does your hope lie? We all want hope. There's not anybody in here. If I walk up to you and say, like, like, what are your hopes and dreams? We all have an answer to that question. But what is the basis? What is the, 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 the source of your hope? And it is either New Year's Day or Christmas Day. It is either the fact that I have enough in me or does that Christ has come. And our message to the world is that our only hope is that Christ has come. This was the hope for the people in the Old Testament. As they looked forward to the coming of Jesus into the world. Psalm chapter 130, verses 5 through 8. Listen to what the psalmist says it says, I wait for the Lord, and my soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The the, the person is saying, don't put your hope in the person who's guarding the city. Put your hope in the Lord who gives his steadfast love and he will save you. And, and the hopes of Israel were wrapped up in the promises of this coming king, this messianic king who one day be born. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, their hope was, was, I know our lives are bad. We are governed by the Babylonians. We are governed by the Persian. We are governed by the Romans. We are governed by the Greeks. We don't have freedom. All the things we thought were going to be true of our lives are not true. Our lives are hard. Death surrounds us. We are often made slaves. And, and they would look at the scriptures and say, "But but one day... One day, God is going to send his king and he's going to put Israel back into the place where they should be. He is going to redeem us and rescue us. And so what hope is, is on one level, hope can only flow from a recognition that my life and the world around me is not the way it should be. And second, there is a waiting and a longing for something different. That's what hope is. It's looking at my life, going... This world's hard, I am hurting, the culture's a mess, but I know there's got to be a better reality. And hope says, I will wait and trust. Hope in the Bible is always tied very closely with the the idea of faith, of trusting in God and moving towards uh, just believing in who he is and what he is. And so if you're a follower of Jesus here, what, what Advent is is a reminder that we have hope. Not on New Year's Day, but in, in the fact that Christ has come is the answer to the question of why is my life not the reality I had hoped it would be. And, and, and there is a promise of something better and something new. And we have that hope to offer to the world. The hope that says, listen, let's be honest, New Year's Day don't work. Political solutions aren't going to solve our problems. Whatever laws we enact will just create other problems that will show up because human solutions, the oneness of all humanity is a myth. Yet there is hope. There is hope, but the hope is not in the collective goodness of humanity. The hope is in the goodness of our God who created us and loves us and is for us. How do we know? Because Jesus was born, right? That's how we know. We know because we start Advent by lighting the first candle with full anticipation that on Christmas Eve we'll light the white candle that says he has come. We wait for a month for that day just as a reminder that we are still in waiting for hope. Just like the Old Testament hoped that Christ was born. We are still in this hope of this in-between time between the first coming and second coming of Christ and we hold on. And so this hope is a beautiful thing. It's also a dangerous thing. I I, I think of the the movie Shawshank Redemption, if you're familiar with it. You know, the whole movie is ultimately about hope, but you have this moment where this character who's in prison with all these other prisoners, and the the whole prison situation is awful, but this, this character, Andy Dufresne, becomes a light in that dark place. And one day he puts on a record playing classical music and then, puts it where the whole prison yard can hear it, and everybody just stops and freezes and looks up as they're listening to the sound of music, which some of them haven't heard for years and years and years and years and years. And, and he gets thrown into solitary confinement. He ends up being in the hole for two weeks, and he comes out, and, and they have this conversation at a lunch table where... where the conversation leads to a discussion about why he would do this. And uh, they're like, he's like, uh, wasn't your time in the hole awful? And he said, no, it was the easiest time I've ever had. And Why? Because the music. I kept hearing the music. And they were like, you, they let you put the record player in there? And Andrew Dufresne says, no, the music is here and here. They can't take that away from you. And the conversation comes around to the idea that there is part of our humanity that, the, you know, he says there's part of our humanity that can't be stolen from us by the guards and what i'm talking about is hope and then red who's the character played by morgan freeman just looking at him and go listen hope in this place is a very dangerous thing he's not wrong because if our hope is in the wrong place that hope will just be wishful thinking optimism but it will end up with with nothing being fulfilled is our hope just optimism Happy, happy, joy, joy in a Christian life. And the answer is if you were authentically a follower of Jesus, no. Your hope is in something that is settled and true and real. So while hope can be a very dangerous thing if you're placing it in the wrong place, for those of us who know Christ, our hope is beautiful. The watching world looks at the hope of Christianity. I was watching you know, CBS this morning and they were talking about all the mass shootings that have gone on in the last you know, eight or ten years and all these memorials that are being built, and, and they talked a lot about all of them, but, man, the Mother Emmanuel Lutheran or, uh, Episcopal Church uh, in Baltimore where this the, the young man went in with race, racism, racism in his heart and killed the people in a prayer meeting, you know what I'm talking about there? As the, the, the people were telling about that story in that memorial, the fact that they forgive and that there's a hope there that doesn't make sense The hope that we have in Christ, the watching world will look and go, I don't get this. This is different. And and we have that to offer. And so here in this text, there's just a couple beautiful things I want to point out just quickly about this hope. I want to tell you a little bit about the reach of this hope, and then second about the basis of this hope. The reach of this hope and the basis of this hope. Uh, And and first of all, the reach of this hope, we, we, we sing it in O Holy Night, the thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. We have this hope to offer, and we offer it to you. It is for you today. We have this hope to offer the world around us. It's why we say, listen, invite people to church. Tell them about Christ, because we have a hope that they're looking for. But I'm telling you, your neighbor's hope is in New Year's Day, not in Christmas Day. We have a better hope, right? And so, so we go with this message. And what is that hope? Well, the first struggle with the fact that the world is not the way it is, should be is because I look at myself and I'm not the way I should be, right? And the first aspect of hope we see in this text and in the scriptures is, is the promise of a new you. That, that the version of a new me that comes from New Year's Day never materializes the way I want it to. But the promise of the new me that is in Christ, that the fact that Christ is coming into the world and we are now justified by faith... Puts us in a place where Christ is going to transform us to make us more like Jesus. Look at it in verse 3 and 4. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, pause here and just realize how nuts that is. What's Paul saying? When life is hard, when things are brutal, when we are being persecuted, when we sit at Thanksgiving meal with empty seats at the table because people we love have gone on into eternity... When family squabbles come, when, when, when the stock market crashes, when wars come around us, what is Paul saying we do in those moments? We rejoice. Now, this isn't the sermon on joy. We'll get there. But just hear how backwards that is. What do we do? We rejoice. But why? Because we know something is going on in our rejoicing that suffering, hardship, these moments where we look at it and go, man, I need to long for hope because it's not the way I want it to be, and I'm not the way I want it to be, that something is happening in these moments. And so we rejoice in this hope, verse three, in in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character And character produces hope What's he saying? He's saying here's what happens When these these hard things that, that are so hard That our hearts are hurting and we are longing But we rejoice in this hope that we have in Christ We rejoice because what happens in that moment Is that we are looking at the promises And the good things that God has given us And we know that he is going to work something in me That the promise of the hope is not just heaven one day It's that in a very real way The hardship of this world is the petri dish where Christ in the gospel, Christ in his goodness, transforms the character and the the, the beauty of my life. What's, What's God's goal for you if you're a follower of Jesus? It's real simple. It is to transform you into the character of his dear son, to make you a little more like Jesus today than you were yesterday, a little more like Jesus tomorrow than you were today. And as that process takes place in your life, You will find the beauty of Christ in you, which is the hope of glory, right? And and so this transformation, how does this transformation happen? It happens as we as believers rejoice, even though we're living in a hard world with hard moments. It's when somebody walks in and says, you have cancer, and through tears, you can cry and say, I rejoice because I will hope in you. It's when you are wrestling with the weight of your sin and you feel so guilty that you rejoice because I have been justified by his grace and I will hope in you. And C.S. Lewis said this. He said when we grasp this, when we get a hold of this, what's really happening is that heaven, this future hope we are looking forward to, is actually working its way backward into our life. Here's a quote. You cannot, in your present state, understand eternity. That is what mortals misunderstand. They say some temporal suffering, and in some temporal suffering, quote, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn every agony into a glory. It's a great quote because what he's saying is we're in this moment, it's so hard, we can't, we're can we like nothing that could be a promise in the future can be worth what I'm going through now. And he's saying when we get there, we will realize that what was really going on is what is heaven, the presence of Christ, the beauty of his transformation, the, the, the glory of his power was working backwards so that we will go, in that moment, he was with me. In that moment, he saw me through. In that moment, I became more like Christ. In that moment, I, like we can't see it now, so what do we do? hope. But that hope is what produces the the transformation of our souls so that the outcome in the gospel, that the hope that comes because of the manger is a new you, a transformed life where the testing of trials produces the beauty of a changed life. That's the reach of hope that we're talking about in the scripture. The second thing is is a better future. He talks about the hope of glory in verse two. What is that hope? He's literally just pointing us forward to the fact that our suffering and evil and brokenness, our sin and the sin of those around us, our failures, our hurts and dreams, they will not have the final say. Not even a grave has the final say. Now, how do we know that? Because of a manger, a cross and an empty tomb. And so, so, so I hope, knowing that no matter how broken my life gets or no matter how hard the journey gets, I can place my faith in a better future. And I may not experience all of that in this temporal moment of life, but Christian hope reminds us that this life is not all there is, and, and the suffering and evils of this world will, world will not have the final say. Amen? And so we hope. And Christmas is the season where we come back and we see that again. But it's not just the reach of hope. It's the basis of hope. It's the basis for hope. i hit this several times that, that the world's basis of hope is their own resiliency. Ours is not. If you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, I just want to tell you, trust in Christ. There is true hope there. That, that, that Christian hope is bold and it's maybe crazy, but it isn't optimism It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that is as surprising as a crucified man coming back from the dead. That's what our hope is. It's as crazy as saying, our hope is as crazy as saying that a dead man was alive three days later. So it looks back at Jesus in order to look forward. What is the basis of hope in the Christian life? And it's two things. It is the faithfulness of God and the promises of God. The faithfulness of God and promises of God. First of all, the faithfulness of God. God. What hope does scripturally is hope looks at my moment right here today and it causes it. Hope tells me, turn around, look back and see it. See the faithfulness of your God. The Old Testament people, when they would be going through the hardship of the nations and they would feel like the nations had won, that God was silent, and God would tell them, turn around and look back. There is 10 plagues in a parted sea that are your story I rescued you from slavery. I have delivered you. Their story is rooted in the faithfulness of God to keep his promises. I gave you a promised land. I told Abraham that I would give you this land. I gave it to you. And they could look back and see the faithfulness of God in the redemption story. They could also look back and see the faithfulness of God in the fact that they had a harvest and the Lord had given them their food. And like they, they could just declare the Lord has been faithful. And so what we see over and over in, in this declaration, over and over in the scriptures, of people who are in a a relationship with God, who are in a covenant relationship, is that the steadfast love and the faithfulness of the Lord never ceases. Faithfulness says, listen, here's what our hope does. It pauses in the moment where it seems overwhelming, and it looks back and it sees the faithfulness of God. And we're on this side of the birth manger story, even though... Though Christmas is the season of looking forward to it, we are on this side of the manger and the cross. We know that God has been faithful, and, and our hope looks at our moment and says, Here's the call of God to t- turn around, look back. There's a bloody cross, there's an empty tomb. He is faithful to justify and forgive us of all of our sins. He is faithful and just to cleanse us, to purify us. He is faithful to see us through. The faithfulness of God. And then hope tells us to turn and look to the future, not through optimism, but to look at the future through the promises of God. The Old Testament people had all these promises of this coming Messiah. But that is not where the promises end. We have experienced that part of it, right? Christ has come. Those promises were fulfilled. But it's not where the promises ended. And so here we go. For those of you who have fallen asleep, I can't see you, so I can't tell. It's time to wake up because it is now audience participation time. I thought, man, I'm going to look up a whole bunch of verses and I realized I don't have to do this in this room. What are the promises? Tell you tell me. What are like we're looking forward, hope is looking forward and saying the promises are going to be true. He's going to keep his promises. What are the promises? Help me out. Bark him out. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love that. What else? I will never leave you or forsake you. Man, that's beautiful. What else? Christ is going to return. That someday the heavens are going to split open and Jesus is going to return. Listen, we have an experience, but we know it's going to happen. We, we, that's not wishful thinking and optimism. That is a true sentence scripture. How do we know it? Because Christ rose again. He is coming back. What else? Say that again? New a new heaven and new earth. That there is a day where the brokenness of this world is going to be taken away. The taint of sin is going to be removed. And the, this place is going to be renewed so that we spend eternity with Christ, right? What else? To Say that again? To the promise of, of our prayer just call. God hears our prayers and answers our prayers, right? What was it over here? The Yeah, this promise that in this life and the one to come, that everything, even the hardship in our life, that God is weaving a beautiful tapestry in our lives, that we will look back at the end and say, oh, God was good. God was good. A couple more. Promises are for you, your children, your children's children. children. <laughs> the promises of the blessing for generations, for you, your children, your children's children. And those of you who've been around us know that that was what my dad quoted all the time. I heard something over here. No suffering. Yeah, there's going to be a day, day where the tears are wiped away from my eyes. Now watch this. This is what hope is. Hope is where I stand in the moment, and it's hard, and life and the world around me is broken. I look at the culture, and I see the suffering and the evil and the wickedness that seems to be winning. And I look back, and I see that God has been faithful. He's been faithful in coming in Jesus. He's been faithful in my life and just seeing me through these different moments And I I grab faithfulness, and I look forward, and I see promises. And the promises of God are are yes in Christ. I don't wonder if they're going to happen. I just don't know when they're going to happen. But I hold on to them, and I live in this moment with the hope that God's faithfulness and his promises will all be true for me now and at the final day. And the reason we can have that hope is because of a manger. It's why we light a candle we're not spending a month of wishful thinking. We're spending a month of saying God is faithful, He is true, and He has promised. And we're going to believe this together. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, this is what Christmas says, it's what Christmas pronounces. And we hold on to this hope with all of our might. And if, if you were here today and you're like, I'm just checking this thing out, I don't even know what you're talking about. I just wanna to say to you that the message of Christmas, of Jesus coming into the world, and his eventual death on the cross for our sins is the source and the basis of our hope. And you can have hope, not in yourself, not in your goodness, hope in the one who will justify you, who will make you right with God and give you access into his presence. And so peer into the manger scene, See there the fulfillment of the hopes and dreams of Israel. The king of all kings who did not usher in the kingdom of God, who did usher in the kingdom of our God, and look at the baby in the manger. See the shadow of the cross in the background and the blood this baby will shed for our justification. Peer into the manger and believe. And then see the coming of Jesus, the faithfulness of God, and the basis of our hope. Whatever we're experiencing today, it will not have the final sight. We have hope in God's promises and the reality that those promises are working backward as we become a slice of heaven here on earth. So we hope. We hope. I'm going to pray. When I get done praying, we're going to show you a video reminding you of the Advent conspiracy offering and the opportunity to give. And then we're going to sing a few songs. In the first one, you're going to hear everything I just said echoed in songs. Sing it loud. Best way to uh, spread Christmas cheer is singing loudly to Jesus for all to hear. There you go. So we sing. But if you're here today and you're you're crushed under the weight of it and you can't find this hope, at the end of our service or, or during this next song, we'll have people over here ready to pray with you. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're not sure what that means, we would love to have a conversation and help you find Christ and experience the joy of justification this morning. We give during this time. Our offering will be collected. If you're a guest, that's not for you, but it's for everybody else. It's our way of giving back because we know what Christ has done for us. And we hope. Lord, we thank you for this morning for the promise of hope, the good promise of hope in the world. We know it's true. We know it's here. We have experienced and tasted your faithfulness. And we know of your promises if we were walking with Jesus. Lord, help us in this moment because I know there's a lot of people here who are hurting who have spent the holidays just the last few days sitting at, at, at Thanksgiving meals with empty seats at tables and they've hurt. people who have gone through massive crisis and struggle remind us that there is a hope in the world that that hope is only in you. And may we lift our eyes and worship the one who gives us that hope today. In your name I pray, amen.